Live from Capital Public Radio in Sacramento, this is Insight. I'm Pamela Wu, in for Beth Ruyak. This is a big week in the California state legislature. We've reached that point in the calendar where bills must pass the House where they originated. One item that's getting a lot of attention is a bill on police use of force. Also in political news, the California Democratic Party convention is this weekend in San Francisco. Of the more than 20 Democratic candidates for president, 14 are slated to attend. Their presence is a testament to California's influence in the 2020 election, not just because our state has moved its primary up to March, but also because California Democrats have long set the policy agenda for other blue states. I am joined now by Capitol Public Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler. He joins us from the Capitol to talk about bills at the State House and the road to the White House. Hello, Ben. Good morning, Pamela. Good morning. Let's start with what's happening in the legislature. There's a lot of public interest in the use of force bill. Now a deal's been struck and it passed the assembly with no opposition. So given how polarizing this issue is, how was a deal reached and what's in that deal? All right. So, yes, this was the big news. Uh, The deal was struck late last week, but the bill passed the assembly yesterday. And I should tell you that uh, if you're wondering what the the sounds are behind me, I'm here in the assembly press bay as the chamber is just about ready to gavel in for its final day of this key week. It's known as House of Origin week because by the end of this week, all bills must pass the Chamber of Origin. Senate bills must pass the Senate. Assembly bills must pass the assembly. And it's that deadline that drove the use of force last week. Now, a lot of times you get a deal right now or a bill gets through the House of Origin with promises to keep working on it through the end of session, which this year is going to be in mid-September. Not so in this case. In this case, uh, in, in point of fact, it was essentially a final deal. There are still a couple of minor details yet to be worked out uh, as the bill moves through the Senate. Uh, however, for all intents and purposes, this is the framework of the final bill. And so here's what it includes. Officers will only be able to use lethal force when it is necessary and if there are no other options. That's widely viewed as higher than the existing legal standard that the use of deadly force is legal if a reasonable officer would have acted similarly in that situation. But the bill language leaves out a specific definition of necessary, and that would leave interpretation up to the legal system to figure out on a case-by-case basis. A couple other provisions in this use of force deal that show how both groups uh, were willing to compromise. Uh, The uh, law states, or the proposed law also states, that an officer's conduct leading up to the shooting will be considered. That was big for proponents of this bill. Uh, But so, too, will the suspect's behavior and a nod to law enforcement. And there's language in the bill that requires police to use other alternatives. We're talking about de-escalation or less lethal options before using deadly force. But these requirements are a statement of intent, not a specific checklist. What does this bill's future look like? So it passed the assembly yesterday. It moves to the Senate. There are still a few relatively minor details yet to be worked out. uh, And then um, it would need to, assuming there are amendments in the Senate, it would have to come back to the Assembly. But the the real heavy lifting on this bill, everyone is saying, has already been done. And so there are things to work out that there just wasn't enough time to work out last week to get amendments processed, to get the bill up in time for this deadline. Uh, But it's moving forward. And of course, this is a big deal for Sacramento. Uh, This bill um, first came up last year, and there were previous years' efforts, 
efforts, but new momentum last year after the Sacramento police shooting of Stefan Clark. Now, of course, earlier this year, Sacramento County District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert did not charge the officers who shot Clark, and that gave yet another round of momentum and propelled the negotiations that really had been going on over the winter after last year's bill failed. And now uh, we, we finally seem to have the makings of a deal. Let's talk about another bill that's getting a lot of attention, what's being referred to as the Dynamics Bill. This bill impacts Lyft, Uber, other gig economy workers and contractors. Where does that stand? That bill just passed the assembly yesterday evening. It was a really long session yesterday. They, they gaveled in around 10 and they went uh, into the evening hours. Uh, I don't think it'll be quite as long today, but they still have a fair amount of work to do in the assembly today. A little less work to do, by the way, over in the, the, the Senate. So uh, this, this bill, we call it the Dynamics Bill because it's a court ruling that um, uh, you know, propelled these negotiations uh, last year or these discussions last year. Uh, legislative leaders were not willing to act on such a complex topic last year and that pushed the debate into this year. Labor and business groups are trying to work out deals and there's you know so many industries are affected including ours of, of, of journalism and it's about you know when an employee is an employee when a contractor is a contractor when should a contractor actually be classified as an employee and there could be different questions to weigh for all of these different industries you know truck drivers hairdressers journalists so because it is so complex uh, it's going to take some time to work out, and it was the, the author of the bill yesterday was clear that uh, it's still a work in progress. So unlike the use of force bill, which was passed with uh, without any no votes, a couple of assembly members voted no, and one from each party, and then changed their votes to not voting after the fact. Uh, unlike there, where there was wide praise for a deal, and this is how the legislative process should work, the legislative process is still working on this dynamics bill, and we will see where it goes in the coming months. Well, what bills that you and other political watchers thought were sure to make it through this legislative session just fizzled? And conversely, are there ones that are making their way through that are kind of a surprise? So there's a couple that I'm a couple topics that I'm watching. Uh, I'm, and one are charter school bills, and another are rent and tenant bills. So the charter bills, um, a couple relatively smaller ones have made it through the House of Origin so far. And uh, but but even um, the you know the governor signed one about transparency for charter schools that had broad support, and the charters themselves were were neutral. But you've got this you've had this historic tension between the charter schools and the teachers unions, uh, and uh, there's generally been the status quo holding for quite some time. Uh, now, at the same time, though, as you can hear the gavel behind me, uh, for the, this year with an expanded Democratic majority and with uh, a new governor who uh, was opposed by charter schools in the primary last year, uh, char uh, teachers unions have seen hope for pushing some significant charter school legislation through talking about moratoriums or caps uh, and, and new restrictions on when they can be authorized. And bills, uh, you know, the, the, there was one debate I want to say it was earlier this week, might have been late last week, where a bill came up by surprise. And it got through, but barely, and a lot of moderate Democrats weren't happy. So we're waiting to see what happens today with these two remaining charter school bills, one in the Senate and one in the Assembly. We're also uh, looking at rent 
bills. And of course, with the rents being, as uh, the chant goes, too damn high, that's a chant that tenant groups have been chanting quite a bit. So the rent cap bill did pass the assembly last night after some significant amendments that addressed uh, uh, concerns from apartment association, realtors association, interest groups like that. Uh, we're still waiting to see what happens to a bill with tenant protections about when tenants can and cannot be evicted. Uh, that bill would need to come up today or it would uh, be done for the year. I'm talking with Capitol Public Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief, Ben Adler. Ben, the California Democratic Convention is taking place in San Francisco this weekend, and 14 of the more than 20 declared presidential candidates will be there. So what can attendees expect to hear? Well, we're going to have 14 different presidential candidates uh, of the, what, I think we're at 22 or 23 or so, but 14 different... Yes, I know, and, and, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't think anyone is going to uh, be, be too frustrated as to how we might have lost count of precisely how many are coming. Uh, so the big absence is going to be Joe Biden, the former vice president, the front runner in the race. He has not been attending events like this in other states either, so he's not coming to this one. In fact, he'll be campaigning in Ohio over the weekend. But let me run through the schedule of uh, who we expect to speak and when. Uh, so Saturday morning, um, we're going to hear from Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, California's own senator, of course, and Beto O'Rourke. Saturday afternoon, Kirsten Gillibrand, Tulsi Gabbard, Pete Buttigieg, Eric Swalwell, the California congressman, Amy Klobuchar, Jay Hickenlooper, and Jay Inslee, John Hickenlooper, and Jay Inslee. And then Sunday morning, Bernie Sanders, Julian Castro, and John Delaney. So uh, those are the 14 who we expect to hear from. And... Uh, uh, it's, uh, we're also going to hear from a lot of other big California names. Gavin Newsom, of course, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, will be there, and, and several of the members of Congress who are taking these elevated national roles in investigating the president, Maxine Waters and Adam Schiff, uh, they are going to be speaking as well. From, the, um, from a policy perspective, what do you expect some of the other big topics to be? So. It's interesting. I had a story run this morning about how California's uh, so deep blue that the progressive policies that California has pushed, which have long been on the agenda in other, other blue states because of California, they're really being brought up nationally. And perhaps this would have happened organically. Perhaps the rest of the nation, or at least Democrats in the rest of the nation, are where California is now anyway. But there's also the fact that California has this now March primary. We're not voting in June, we're voting in March. That actually means that vote-by-mail ballots are going to be sent out by counties to you and me and every other voter who votes by mail. And of course, in Sacramento County and an increasing number of counties right now, every voter votes by mail. Uh, are, uh, so, so those ballots are going to go out the day of the Iowa caucuses. Let's stop and think about that. Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, the early states. And then uh, in early March, there's a slew of Super Tuesday states. California is one of those states. California has by far the most delegates in the Democratic presidential primary. They're awarded by congressional districts once you reach a certain viability, 15%. Any candidate above 15% is able to claim some of the delegates. So there are a lot of delegates up for grabs, and candidates are loath to not get any of them to be skipped over. On the other hand, it's really hard to compete in California, right? It's uh, very expensive. So uh, you've got all of these candidates coming out here glad to get the media attention, except for the one candidate who arguably does not need immediate media attention, Vice President Biden.
This sort of makes March 3rd like a super duper Tuesday, Ben. Yes, I, I think that pun and many others may be made uh, between uh, a super duper number of times between now and March. You mentioned um, members of Congress um, appearing this weekend. You know, Robert Mueller held this rather unusual press conference yesterday, and he seemed to suggest that the ball is in Congress's court if action is to be taken against President Trump for alleged collusion or obstruction. Do you expect the topic of impeachment in the White House to be widely discussed at this weekend's convention? Well, I think if the candidates themselves don't discuss it, they're going to get a lot of questions from media. I mean, there's going to be national media uh, descending uh, on on San Francisco. The Moscone Center is where the convention is taking place. So, uh, yes, and, and I think you're going to see some, you know, well, Nancy Pelosi was at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco yesterday, and what do you think the first question was about? It was just a couple of hours after Robert Mueller had spoken publicly for the first time. So, of course, she was asked about that. Now, the presidential candidates have this tightrope to walk there's you know they're going to be campaigning on their policies but they're also mindful that Democrats seem to be very interested in which candidate they think is best equipped to take on President Trump and, and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and defeat him the electability question so you're gonna have the policy debate the electability debate and how each candidate chooses to use his or her time I'm told that each candidate will have more than five minutes, but I don't have an exact number of minutes, uh, we're, it will, will be interesting to see. And I'm also going to be very curious uh, to what extent uh, the candidates talk about California, California-specific policies, or if they keep their speeches, you know, their elevator speeches, their, their campaign speeches, their, their stump speeches uh, general. That's going to be one very busy convention, and you'll be there? Oh, yes. Uh, Cap Radio will, will be here in, in force. And, and speaking of being here in force, I have walking into the press bay uh, Democratic Assembly member Shirley Weber, the author of the Use of Force Bill. And uh, we're, we're glad to have you with us this morning. And, and we're kind of zigzagging back for our listeners to the topic that we started with. But it's of such concern to, I think, Sacramento uh, residents because of the police shooting of Stefan Clark and the central place in the debate that this has taken in our community that we thought it would be great to have you join us. So thank you for being here. Well, Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. At one point, not long before a deal, it looked like the whole thing might just go up in flames. What was the turning point that led to a deal being struck between uh, yourself and, and, and the civil liberties and community activist groups on your side and law enforcement groups on the other? Well, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint any particular issue because this was such a complicated issue and with a lot of folks participating in it. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, when I was leaving and coming back here on Sunday night, I had very heavy heart not knowing where this bill was going to land and f still fighting to make sure that we could get folks to the table to make some reasonable adjustments and hopefully move folks to neutral. So I, I think also it, one of the factors was that many of the members on the floor who are very close to law enforcement had said to them, something's got to change. Something has got to change and you need to talk to Weber. So as a result, there was a constant push for them to meet with me by the members on the floor. And they kept asking me, have you met, have you met? And so that became important in terms of them understanding that, that the, this body wanted some change. They wanted some reasonableness in terms of coming together. So that was a part of it that was there. Uh, the governor got involved and maybe people realized, okay, that it's gonna happen. Law enforcement kept saying, we gotta make a change. And so that was all a part of it. 
You're hearing us speak a little more quietly now because the prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance are happening here on the assembly floor on this final day of session this week before the House of Origin deadline for bills to pass this chamber. A lot of times there are votes at this House of Origin deadline to keep a bill moving, not a final deal. Why was this deal able to be a final deal? I think because we all wanted to make sure that all parties, because it is so complicated, that all parties would still be participating. We didn't want to leave it hanging and say, well, we'll make changes in the next House. We wanted to make sure that those changes were done here so that people knew what they were voting for because it was just that important. I don't think we could have sold folks on saying, well, we're going to make changes at the next House. Trust us. Even though they trusted me, they wanted to know exactly what it was going to look like because that was very, very important. And, and I wanted to ask you, you mentioned, uh, you know, law enforcement needing to come to the table was uh, did you ever have to make a pitch to uh, your supporters and say hey you know this bill isn't going to be everything that you want you know for example there's no specific definition of necessary except a bit of one in the intent language it's not laid out in the hard and fast language of the bill uh, was it hard for you to bring your backers along to the bargaining table um, you know I had a couple of meetings with them at, at certain points of time as the bill was going to change assuring them that certain things would be in, in the bill and I think the fact that um, that I took it so seriously and I worked so hard. Every last one of them said, we trust you. You know, um, we know that you're going to do the best you can for this community. And I said, and I wouldn't leave you with a bill that was nothing, that really had good intent language, that had definition of, of, of circumstances, that all the things that we wanted. So we constantly went back and forth saying, what did we attempt to accomplish? Because if you get caught up in only the language itself without what you want, you may feel a sense of loss. But if you say, what did we, what were we out there to do? We wanted to change when you can use force, we want to change it from being reasonable to necessary. We wanted to talk about totality of circumstances. So all these things we talked about, we said, all of those things are there in some form of the bill. And so people felt comfortable with the fact that we may have been changing some language and a few things around, but, but ultimately it was there. And, and we're hearing the Pledge of Allegiance right now in the Assembly Chamber, and, and it's interesting that we have you at this moment, the prayer and the pledge. You spoke yesterday about how your church was praying for you, and the Pledge of Allegiance to this country, um, the country that allowed for this kind of debate. Um, what emotions are you feeling at this moment as this bill that you've worked on two years, maybe more, is moving forward? Well, I'm excited about it. I'm excited, first of all, that most of my colleagues complimented me on the fact that I was willing, I was patient, and I was accessible, and I was willing to have conversations with them and with others. And I didn't try to push something through in a, in a rushed manner. I think they all appreciated that. I just talked to a member on the floor who was saying he didn't know if I recognized it. And with the seven years, the element in this floor has changed. And the fact that we could get that many votes on this bill was amazing. And, um, and I think it goes to my staff, it goes to the advocates, because many of them were, were walking the halls and being respectful, but nonetheless being being pushing to say you've got to make change. You know, the timing was right, all those kinds of things. I'm a very spiritual person. I rely heavily upon my church and my God to give me direction. And that doesn't mean I'm one of these far-right kind of religious people because I don't impose my religion on others. It is designed to make me a better person. And as a result of that, I think that people will become better because of who I am. Um, and I relied heavily upon my church. I asked them to pray for me before I took the bill. I asked them to pray every step of the way when we decided to hold the bill last year. I asked them, you know, for prayer to strengthen me, not to just to say you can move everything, but to give me what I needed in terms of internal strength to basically be able to carry the bill with some sense of dignity and take it to the end of the line.
Democratic Assemblymember Shirley Weber of San Diego, the author of the bill that is strengthening the legal standard for when police can use deadly force in California. Thank you for stopping by on Cap Radio. Thank you so very much, and have a great day. And you as well. So, Pamela, just getting in before the Chamber of Origin deadline for lawmakers and bills today, and Dr. Weber, just getting in before our deadline for the end of this segment. Indeed. Capitol Public Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler. Thank you for the update, Ben. You're welcome. You are listening to Insight on your NPR station, Capital Public Radio.